This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Drilled to center field and deep. Back on it is Eaton. To the track. To the wall. It's gone! Kevin Longoria with a two-run home run to straightaway center, and he gives the Rays a 6-4 lead here in the ninth. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. The 2-2 now. Check swing on the slider. Strike three. Chris Archer jumps off the mound and bounces his way to the dugout. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Hi, everybody. Good evening. Welcome to our final show of the season. Today, we will spend some time on the loss of Juan Jose Fernandez and his impact on baseball in Tampa Bay. We'll talk about the Rays season with Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. He'll join us from Texas. Mitch Lukovich will be along as well to look at this year in the Rays farm system. Plus, plenty of interviews from Rays players on the major and minor league side as we conclude the 2016 campaign. We continue on this week in Rays baseball at a major story in the game and especially had a lot of meaning to Tampa Bay was the passing of Juan Jose Fernandez. And joining us now is his former head coach at Alonso High, Londi Fajardo. Londi, thanks very much for a few minutes, especially under the circumstances. Uh, how hard has this news hit you this week and, and obviously Alonso High as well? Yeah, it hit us pretty hard. You know, you still think, you just can't believe that, it, that it's, it's happened to him. When you say happened to him, how so? When you say that, uh, just because it's so young, you know, it's just I don't, you know, I don't think anybody at such a young age and hasn't really experienced, you know, a, you know, great part of, of life, you know, and to, to to for it to end so quick, so young, you know, at such a young age. You it were seems unfair. I would agree. There, you were with him in some of his, you know, his formative years when he just came to the states. Can you remember meeting him for the first time and, and share that with our listeners? Yeah, I mean, the first time I met Jose, he showed up to try out for a fall baseball team and um, just a very focused, um, very driven young man. Are there any types of stories that kind of stick out to you during your time with him? Obviously, you won a couple of state championships. He was much heralded, went on to be a first-round pick. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's plenty of, you know, baseball stories, you know, with him and everything, but, you know, just... You know, people see him as just, you know, the great baseball player, you know, and he, you know, very, you know, had a lot of charisma and he had that great smile. But, uh, you know, Jose had a big heart. I remember one time us, I took the kids to Shriners to visit the, um, the children there. And, you know, my baseball players are kind of shy to, to reach out. It was during their lunchtime. But as soon as they came out, Jose was the first person, um, to go and greet the kids. And you know, I remember him asking, you know, a young girl to, he could carry her tray to the table for. And, sat down there with her and talked to her the whole time. And, you know, she spoke Spanish and, you know, and I remember them exchanging numbers. And, I, you know, he rode with me over there that morning. And I, on our way back, I said, you have a good time? He goes, yeah, I made a new friend coach. We exchanged numbers and, you know, we're, we're going to stay friends. And uh, she's my best friend. I remember, remember him telling me. 
special story. He meant a lot to your family, too, because you and uh, your son was a teammate of his, what, his freshman year, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I took Jose under the wing, when, you know, when he was first here and just kind of returned the favor because, you know, him and Alex were friends. And, uh, you know, he'd always talk to Alex about, you know, you know, how to how to play the game. And, you know, it, it, it was very uh, – he made an impact on my son, and you know, and, and uh, you know, he just – you know, taught Alex how to just be passionate and just, you know, give it everything you got all the time out there and, and enjoy it. I, I'm sure you're not – well, maybe you are. How, how have you seen the reaction uh, from Major League Baseball, from players, from his teammates, uh, from people in the game um, to his life, his legacy? I, I mean, it's no surprise. I mean, he's what's in the big leagues for, what, three years only and, and for him to touch – that many people, you know, that just tells you that he was just special. You know, he he brought something, uh, a different light to MLB. You know, it just and people just love to watch him play. And then, you know, I you know I was fortunate to to be able to coach him and and watch him. You know, when he was young and you know, but the way he was, you know, playing pro ball, he was like that with us. Yeah, I was curious. That was my next question. How you saw him in that light, or did you already? kind of see him in that light and being that kind of person uh, even at such a young age. Yeah, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine, you know, when I first had him, and then, you know, Jose, you know, he, he wanted to be a, a, you know, a big league player, you know, but the thing with him, he was telling his coach, I, I want to pitch 12 to 15 years, and he saw the big picture, you know, and, and, you know, he was blessed with talent, and he didn't take it for granted, you know, he everything that God gave him, you know, he worked, you know, to, to make, you know, the, the skills that he had better, and and to be the best that he could be. How rare is it to find a kid like that? Um, because you've been doing this at the coaching level for a while. Almost impossible. I, I was lucky. I'm one of the few. You know. I mean, I mean, the the the, the track that he was on. If he would have continued what he was doing, you're talking maybe a future Hall of Famer. You know, which would he he would be one of the best pitchers ever. And who knows, could have been maybe the best pitcher ever. Not all of the kids that you coach now, I'm sure, they may have seen Jose play. They may not have met him. What do you want those kids to know about Jose that you hope will be carried on at Alonzo High School? He didn't take anything for granted. You know, he, he lived life to his fullest, and and, um, and he had goals, and he worked. And, you know, it doesn't come easy. And he was someone that was just special, you know, just gifted, you know, given with special talents and, he didn't take it for granted. He worked. He worked to get better. And he worked to, to to maximize everything that he had, and that you know that you know they can do the same thing. You know they might not be a Jose Fernandez, but they can be you know the best that they can be. Did he come back often after um, he finished his high school career? Once he started, becoming... yeah, yeah. When he was in the minor leagues, he'd come by and work out when he was living in Tampa, and then when he made it to the um, when he got you know after spring training, and he was you know he got promoted or he went up to the big. The year after that, he would show up, but then he, had, you know, he made that final move where he, uh, he moved and he was living in Miami. So you know, we wouldn't see him. You know, only time I got to see him was, you know, if he was down here, um, you know, if he was playing the Rays, you know, I'd, I'd go see him there, and we, you know, you know, we'd hang out a little bit after the game, stuff like that. Was there was there a separate level of pride just to see him pitch on a, a mound in this market in the big leagues? Oh, of course, you know, so <laughs> big feather in my cap, <laughs> you know. <laughs> To be able to talk to somebody and say, "Yep, I coached that guy right there," you know. I went to, my son was on the uh, USA team, the collegiate national team, that went, and he got to play in Taiwan, Japan, and Cuba. And um, and I got to go. I went and you know saw my son pitch in Cuba, and 
you know, I had people coming up to me, you know, you know, that I was my son and, you know, and they, they, they knew that I, uh, that I coached Jose, some of the people that, you know, that, you know, that knew and they would come up and talk to me. So it was a cool thing. Have you had many conversations with your son, Alex, about, about Jose since and, and how difficult is that? Yeah, I mean, we, we, we've, uh, you know, he's away at college right now at University of Florida, but yeah, we've talked and, um, you know, he, he was touched by Jose. Jose took him under the wing and, uh, you know, you know, he posted on Instagram, you know, how, you know, how Jose had touched him and, you know, and, you know, you know, explained to him, you know, how to play baseball and to be passionate about it. So, and I think, you know, it's Jose is someone that's definitely helped him grow up and, and ha- have him set some goals and, and work hard for him. Well, I'm sure here in Tampa Bay, there are going to be a lot of ways that Jose is re- remembered, uh, not just now, but for many, many decades and, and generations to come. And I certainly appreciate you sharing your thoughts on him with us on this weekend race baseball. Uh, well, you know, thanks for uh, for reaching out. And that's Alonzo High School baseball coach Londi Fayedo on the passing of Jose Fernandez. We continue with this weekend race baseball after this on the Rays Baseball Network. Welcome back to this week in race baseball. Neil Solon's with you, joining us now to put a bow on the 2016 season from Texas. A guy who's busy during the season. He's busy in the off season, but I can guarantee you, he won't be Uber driving for anyone. That's Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. Topper, thanks for joining us. Anytime, Neil. And I'm sure if you got in the car and Nick Franklin was driving, you'd get right back out, right? That's what I would do. <laughs> Where? How did that conversation start? Again, for people who don't know, you were on Twitter today and mentioned that of the interesting things people will do this off season, Nick Franklin's going to be a part-time Uber driver. Apparently he did it last uh, off season and, and said he enjoyed it. He was bored one day, so he signed up to do it and just thought it might be a fun way to kill some time. And he uh, had a couple of funny stories. His first trip, uh, he was actually in Jacksonville hanging out with some friends and decided what the heck. And he got a ticket or something the first time he drove and had uh, somebody get in his car in Orlando and ended up asking him to take him like 45 minutes away. So he about broke even on the trip. But yeah, of, of all the race players, though, if you would have told me, Neil, that one of them was going to be a part-time Uber driver, I probably would have guessed Nick Franklin. All right. He's certainly an interesting character. And it's been an interesting and very good season. And you touched on it today in the Tampa Bay Times for Evan Longoria. I guess the big question as we head toward 2017 is can he repeat it next year? Wow, you have a high standard, man. He hasn't even finished this season, Neil, and you already (laughs) want to know what can he do for you next year. And No, I mean, that's obviously the – I mean, not that there's a downside of a good year, but that's certainly the baggage that comes with having a a good year, maybe an unexpectedly good year. Is that Yeah, the question's going to be can he do it again? Was that an aberration? Uh, Can can they count on that again? Is this a total career resurgence or is this a one-year deal? So – I think what Evan Longoria learned this year about himself, as, as he's heard him talk about this a number of times, is he made some adjustments with his batting stance early in the season, and, and you know he stuck with the, the change, but he was open to adjusting off of that. He wasn't wedded to, I have to do it this way because I've always done it this way. And there were some days where he went up there and something else felt good, and he just went ahead and tried that. He didn't really force himself to say, no, this is how it worked. He went with whatever seems to be helping that day, and that approach seemed to help him. And I think what's clear, and you mentioned it today in the Tampa Bay Times, is how durable he's been. I mean, he's in the lineup today. He plays tomorrow. He's going to be at 160 games for or more four years in a row now. He is, and, and this is a guy that a couple of years ago we, we all, and myself included, were calling him injury prone and, and you know, questioning, you know, was he going to be able to stay on the field because he had a couple of different injuries and some freak by, you know, some freak by nature, uh, one where he had the, the muscle pull and, and, you know, hurt the uh, hamstring, ended up having to get surgery, things like that. So, he has proven now he's actually the leading uh, games played of anybody in Major League Baseball 
uh, from 2013 on. And, you know, you would not have guessed Evan Longoria was the answer to that question. And the durability factor, yes, he will play tomorrow. Kevin Cash did uh, share that a little bit about his lineup. That'll be four straight years of 160 or more games. Pretty impressive. And he was a big part of a story you wrote today, kind of with some perspective on what good can come from a very tough season. What are the big takeaways for you from from the conversations you had with a lot of the players? Well, you know, I think a couple things. I mean, first of all, the players don't really care that they're going to get a better draft pick. That's that's a very little solace to the players that are out there busting their butt mm-hmm. every day that, you know, the Rays are going to pick second instead of seventh. That doesn't really mean anything to them. I know it does to the front office. I know it has significant value to the front office, but from a player perspective, it doesn't. I think what the players see is is a couple things, and, and something Evan Longoria said is, you know, and he said this very deftly. He's got a little career as a politician ahead of him if he wants, but I'll say it much less deftly. They've got some guys up here that shouldn't have been up here this year, and, you know, because of all the losses and as well as some of the injuries, guys that weren't ready to play in the big leagues, and, and, you know, his hope is that at least one benefit of all this losing is those guys learn how to play the game right because there were way too many mistakes made. So that's one benefit for the Rays. Another one is, and, and Chris Archer said this, and, and Longoria said it as well, is, you know, and, and again, give them credit for speaking their mind, that they hope that they this prompts their bosses to take a little bit of a different look at how they put this team together and, you know, whether that's a reliance too much on, you know, whether it is a reliance of too much on statistical and projection type stuff and, and sabermetric stuff and not enough of a reliance on scouting an eye test or it's a matter of just finding players who fit better, whichever way you want to interpret those comments. I thought it was interesting that, you know, they both kind of independently came to that same conclusion as well. And I think the interesting part of that, um, I mean, let's look at from Chris Archer or, or you know, season. Um, if you would have told me that Chris Archer would be 8-19 and 19 with a 4-plus ERA, an ERA that never got, you know, under 4, I probably would have said this is going to be a pretty difficult season. And it was. Aside from all the yeah. other stuff you mentioned. Yeah, yeah, no, it was. And, and obviously Chris Archer is, you know, high on the list of disappointments for this year. And, and even though, as Kevin Cash said today, a lot of his numbers are very similar to last year, except that he had you know, eight or nine more home runs or, you know, and those were the ones that significantly changed some games for him. Now, you know, the, I, I, we, we talked about this the other day. The bottom line is still the bottom line. His stats are what they are. Yes, he has the same ERA as David Price, and David Price is 17-9, and nine, and Chris Archer is 9-19. and 19. So there is something to be said for the situation you're in, it's for the run support, for the defense behind you, for the team you're on. All those mm-hmm. factor in. But I think if you watch Chris Archer pitch this year, I don't think you would say it was a good year. He was inconsistent when he had his good games, but he also had some bad games. No doubt. And, you know, as you look at the starting rotation was supposed to be and really needs to be the anchor of this ball club, um, right now, you probably say there were, what, third, fourth best rotation in the American League East, and they really need to be one to compete. They do, and, and that's, you know, got to be the strength of this team. You all know what couples with that is run prevention, and that, you know, can be interpreted a number of different ways, but mostly, to me, that interprets as defense, and they've mm-hmm. got to have a better defense to make this pitching staff work. Now, getting the starters deeper into games and then reducing the amount of outs needed by the bullpen is obviously another part of the formula, another part of the quotient that in years past has worked for the Rays. These guys, for the most part, did not get very deep this year. They were much more of a six-inning staff than a seven-inning staff, and I think that added up over the course of six months. So that, to me, was a factor, but I I think that defense needs to be better. And it's not just errors, and it's not just unearned runs. I mean, you watch the games, and, and, you know, we saw it the other night. I mean, Chris Archer pitched that game in Chicago, and, you know, Mikey Matuk played a double into a triple. Mm-hmm. And Corey Dickerson didn't make catch a fly ball. That was ruled a double. But those are extra pitches. Those are extra outs. That's extra stretch, extra stress. Sometimes that's extra runs. There's a lot of that is a reason for Chris Archer's record being where it is. No doubt. What do we uh, have tomorrow in race tails? The final one of the regular season, because I know you don't rest in the offseason. season. <laughs> 
Well, we've got a couple things tomorrow. We've got a big story in the paper uh, as far in, in you, of course, always being ahead of the curve, Neil. We're asking me things about it, but it's uh, how far are the Rays from returning to, to competitiveness, to competition, and talking to Kevin Cash and Matt Silverman and Longoria and Archer and a few other people and some people with some other teams as to what they see and what they think as far as how far the Rays are. And then we'll have a web-only version of Ray Tales, uh, which should be up mm. later tonight and certainly tomorrow on TampaBay.com and kind of the normal you know, end-of-the-season uh, wrap-up. And once again, Neil, for however many years this has been now, you did not make the list of biggest surprises or biggest disappointments, so take that as you will. I'm happy I didn't make the letter for sure. <laughs> Mark, thanks as always. <laughs> Great stuff this season. Anytime, Neil. Always happy to be part of your show. Always a highlight of the week. You got it. That's Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. Let's turn our attention from the majors to the minors. And joining us, Director of Minor League Operations, Mitch Lukovich. Mitch, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Neil. Thanks for having me. Uh, let's start with uh, last week we had a lot of the award winners on our program because you honored them uh, a week ago last Friday. And and I think you mentioned this at the Clutch Hitters uh, MVP luncheon where the Rays were honored that Probably the big story was that Willie Adamas was not recognized. A, how hard was it to keep him off the honoree list? And B, what does that say about the system, the fact that he didn't win an MVP award or get recognized when he had a really good year? Well, it was hard because he's a really good player. Willie Adamas is a prime prospect player. But what's good about Willie not being recognized, sort of say, yeah, Jake Bowers had had an equally or better year and. As you know, we, we need to do better in the farm system, and we need to produce more. And when you have players like Willie Adamas not being recognized, um, it's always a tough vote. But you have Willie, you have Jake competing, and uh, that bodes well for our future. Certainly it does. And you guys are working on the future down in Instructional League right now. Give our fans an idea of what is involved in instructionally because you really have almost three groups of players, kids who finished a season, kids who are going to play in Australia, and those going to the Arizona Fall League. Well, it's a great program. It's a 30-day program with our best young players. Um, we work individually with individual skill. We work with our team game, with team fundamentals, but we prepare also um, we have four players going to um, Australia, which starts November 17th. They do their skill work here. They get a little break, then they play a 40-game schedule. We have our players, seven players, that are going to the Arizona Fall League. They come in here. They get ready. We prep them. We make sure that no injuries, no, uh, you know, stubbing over toes, so to say, prior to going out there. And Jared Sandberg will be our manager. Justin Weiss, um, our, one of our young strength coaches, will be out there. But it's a comprehensive program that for all of our younger players, whether it's getting better now for next season or getting them prepared for, you know, fall baseball. I want to touch on the kids going to Australia because we haven't done that on this program yet. But first, I know sometimes in Instructional League, you actually may move a guy or look at someone in a different role or different position. Last year, Brett Sullivan, you started him catching, and he had a fabulous year offensively in the Midwest League with Bowling Green. Are there any... Uh, position changes that you guys have looked at in instructs of note? Well, right now, Zach Law, who is a young high school sign as an outfielder, is working behind the plate right now. It's, it's you know, everybody says convert, convert, but it's not that easy to do. You have to have the right skill set physically and mentally. We think, think Zach Law has that physical and that mental skill to do that, and we're uh, we got a week to go. Um, and we think he can be a future catcher, absolutely. 
Well, that's certainly an interesting uh, thought and idea, and obviously he's a great kid as he won your Eric Walker Community Award this year. Uh, let's touch on the four kids going to Australia. Give me an outline of what you're hoping for for each of the kids going. Uh, let's start with catcher David Rodriguez. Well, David Rodriguez was signed as an offensive catcher, and of course him and Sullivan, they must have had 150 you know, RBIs uh, close combined. And with David, he's going to go there to get reps behind the plate and improve as a catcher, both receiving, throwing, blocking, and with 40 games, we're hoping he can improve on that. We have Ray Ruiz as our manager as a catching. One of his specialties is catching. So he's going to go there as a staff member, and he was David's manager in Bowling Green, can help David with the catching, of course, with the hitting. So we look forward to him making some improvement uh, with, with that area behind the plate, Neil. Ronaldo Ruiz also is the manager of Kevin Padlow, a third baseman who you got in the uh, deal involving Corey Dickerson from the Rockies this year, and he's also headed to the Arizona Fall League. What's the plan for Kevin? Yeah, and that's uh, and that's what's nice with Ray Ruiz going because all the players he has had um, uh, at one time or another, and with Padlow going out there, you know, this is going to help this young kid who has a lot of power. The frequency isn't as good as you like. You know, the contact needs a little bit better. When you go to the Arizona Fall League, one day you can face a, a former major leaguer, a lot of off-speeds thrown out there. It helps these kids to learn to stay back and wait on a pitch, and uh, we're looking for Kevin to improve in that area while he goes out there, Neil. Now, both those kids, along with Lucius Fox, were over at the TROP earlier this week. They were part of uh, an instructional league game against the Red Sox and all really engaging personalities. I was really interesting to chat with Lucius, who again was traded uh, from the Giants with Matt Duffy in the Matt Moore trade. What are your early impressions of him? Because I know he wasn't able to play in the regular season. He's an athlete. He has skill. He has now strength. He's a young kid. And, you know, right, right after him signing, the Giants put him in the in the Midwest League, that's a tall task. And, of mm-hmm. course, we got him with a deep bone bruise, and we were worried about if we put him on the field, could that uh, become a stress fracture? Now he's starting to get healthy, and we're starting to see the skill the skill that our scouts saw prior uh, prior to us acquiring him. And, of course, with Lucius going out there, he missed a lot of time. So he can make up time in the Australian Baseball League. We have 40 games that, that he couldn't uh, you know he couldn't play in the season because of injury. And the fourth guy who's headed to the Australian uh, Baseball League this winter is Tommy Malone. He was in high Charlotte. I know he's a talented defensive player. Is, is more the goal for him to get more reps offensively? Absolutely. You know, Tommy Malone is a, is a skilled young man. You know, he's a 4-1 runner home the first. He has great routes in the outfield. You know, his batting average isn't nearly where we like it to be he needs more reps more coaching you know and and this will be a a great opportunity for him to to improve and and with this think of tommy malone league age 21 this year's draft he would have just come out and played with our hudson valley team so this year he's in an advanced a league in the florida state league these at bats can help tommy alone become a better player one final question, Mitch, and again, we're chatting with Mitch Lukovich, Director of Minor League Operations for the Rays. It used to be a lot of guys played some sort of winter ball, uh, either in Dominican or Mexico or Puerto Rico. How many guys in the minor league system do that now, and is it something you guys initiate or the player initiates? 
Well, we both do. We like winning ball for the right, you know, the right player, the right pitcher. And the circumstances are different for everybody. A lot of times we have a lot of pitchers that have a lot of innings, and we don't want them to play winter ball. There might be a pitcher that, that's coming off an injury, and he's at that level, and we like him to go to play maybe a month winter ball. We have a lot of our young kids, like Iliardo Cabrera, who you know was an all-star for us mm-hmm. in Princeton. He's going to get an opportunity to play for the Margarita team in Venezuela for winter ball. This is big time for this young kid. He'll play a month. And then the big leaguers come in, and then he's going to watch some, some good baseball and how some veteran players play. So it's, it's a mixed bag of, you know, veteran players that we like to play, but it's a fine line that we don't want them to play too much. They need to come into spring training ready to go, well-rested, so they can take on a 140-game season in 2017. Mitch, as usual, great stuff. Thanks for a few minutes, and enjoy uh, what I know is not really an off-season, but an off-season for you. Well, thanks for having me again, Neil, and any time, I'm, I'm happy to help. Again, that's Mitch Lukovich, Rays Director of Minor League Operations. Before we continue, let's pause for station identification on the Rays Baseball Network. This is Tampa Bay Sports Radio. This one's on its way. Thank God! 620 WDAE St. Petersburg and 95.3 FM, home of the Rays. Let's start to look forward to 2017 and beyond. You know, if the Rays are to make a move in the standings, a key piece could be Drew Smiley. The lefty had a much better run after the break than before, and more than that, for the first time, he made every one of his starts. To be honest with you, that was my number one goal going into the season, is be healthy, don't go on the DL, and make my starts, take the ball every time, every fifth day, every chance I get. Um, And I was able to do that, so there's definitely positives I take out of the season. Um, especially going back to last year when I was obviously down, you know, almost three quarters of the season battling arm injuries. Um, so just to be able to come back, work hard this off season and, and stay healthy all year, you know, minus the results from some, a lot of the games, um, just being healthy and being, being able to be part of the team is, was a big plus for me. Kevin had mentioned in spring training how much work you did in the Dallas area with Barry Meister. Is it kind of justify all that work paying off in terms of the health factor? I think definitely. Um, I, I was going to Dr. Meister's facility two, three times a week, um, just really putting all my focus into my shoulder, my, my arm, um, being as strong as I can, but also flexible and, and have that range of motion to not get overly tight and you know get tendonitis in there. And that's kind of the first first off season I've done something like that. You know, go to a, an arm specialist and just pay attention to that in the off season, not just you know spring training during season. I think it definitely paid off. Is it something you go back to and do again because it worked out so well from that regard? Definitely, no question. I'll be back there. Um, it's just such such an easy thing to do, just maintenance. Um, me and Ron, the Ron Porterfield, talk about it a lot, and it just. Just doing a little bit like that throughout the offseason carries so much weight throughout a whole season just to to keep the arm moving, keep the arm in good shape to, to be able to last all season. How much does the second half, what you've done in the second half, help you going into the offseason too? Um, it's big. I mean, obviously, the result-wise, it's not the way the se- it's not the way that we wanted the season to go as a team collectively and as for myself you know I I hold myself to higher standards and I think I had gains where I flashed what I'm capable of but 
like any baseball player in 162 games, it's all about consistency. You have to be able to do it every night. Um, that's what makes the good good players the best and, and separates them from the rest. And, you know, I, I, need, I need to perform better going into next season, but to make 30 starts and set a set you know a bar for next season I think it's huge and especially the second half I think I'd, I definitely have pitched better I've overcome a lot of my struggles early in the, that mid-season slump I was in and I think every pitcher has slumps every every athlete every hitter you know they, it's this game is built on streaks and you know the good the good ones just are able to limit the bad streaks and and carry on the the hot streaks so going into next year um I know I've I found my pitches. I think I've got better throughout the season. Um, I feel stronger now than I did in June and July, so that's a plus to me. And it's a it's a good bar to set going into next season to to how I can get better. And are there things you learned about yourself? Because sometimes you learn more about yourself when things are going when it's tougher than when things are going well. What did you learn? Um, just stay the course. Uh, this season is. Any a baseball season in general is so mentally tough on your mind, on your body. You know, I think a lot of the fans and outsiders don't realize, you know, how much stress it can have on your mental mindset, especially when you're struggling. And it's all you hear about is you're not playing well and performing up to your expectations. And I think all of us in this room hold each of ourselves to a higher standard than than most people. Um, and when you don't, when you don't play to that level, it's it's frustrating. So. Just in being able to overcome that, it, it's it's life lessons, you know. Failure teaches success, and this game is built on failure. So you just have to be able to stay even keeled, stay level, and just know in your head that you're gonna come out of it. You're better than the way you're playing, and I I had that I I remember that thinking throughout my struggles. But sometimes it's hard when game after game you're not getting the results you want. But um, Having the all-star break to clear my head and come back, I, I just really wanted to focus on getting negative thoughts out of your head and, and just pitching and having fun playing the game um, the best I can. And I think this second half has, has showed that. You haven't had much of a chance to be part of a rotation with Alex Cobb, but you were with him when he you first joined the ball club. And I'm curious, having seen what he's gone through and come back, the way he has, everyone talks about him being a bulldog type. How much do you think he can help the rotation for next year? Um, a ton. His his experience, his mental mindset, um, his demeanor, it, it carries a lot of weight around this locker room, especially within our rotation. Um, just his presence, it's, it's felt, you can tell his last three games pitching here, he he brings a lot to the table and a lot of, and teaches a lot of us, you know, just being a good teammate. Um, you know, he, he's not doing it for anyone else, but he'll come to you just you know one-on-one -on -one talks and and he it's easy to connect with him Alex has been one of my best friends since I've been, been traded to the race and uh seeing him healthy back helping Snell out he helps me out on a everyday basis um it's it's fun to to be a part of and to see I mean our whole our whole staff does a great job of communicating with each other and trying to get each other better so he's helped me with my curveball this year and he hasn't even been pitching um just Having guys like that on your team, you know, always backing you, it's it's a plus. That's the race, Drew Smiley. He's not the only one who feels Alex Cobb can have a major impact on 2017. So, too, does pitching coach Jim Hickey. And I asked Hickey about Cobb and what impressed him in his first three starts with the race. 
I think so far the how deep he's gotten into a couple of those games all throughout his rehab process. You know, we had him slated for six innings on a number of occasions and uh, never quite made it there. Uh, and that being said, it's a little bit impressive uh, that he's done that also without his good changeup. You know, he has what I would consider an adequate changeup right now and a good fastball and a good curveball. Uh, but the changeup is nowhere near what it, it's going to be or what the Alex Cobb changeup was. So for him to be doing it minus arguably his best weapon is pretty impressive. I asked him about that, and he said he's learned how to pitch with, let's say, not his best stuff and to become better at that. Is that a learned uh, characteristic and, and how hard is it to learn? Yeah, it's definitely a learned characteristic because if you could teach it, you would just simply teach it to everybody, <laughs> you know. Um, I think it's probably pretty difficult to learn. I think the most difficult part about that is to simply trust that your stuff is good enough when you don't have your best stuff. And his start against Toronto in Toronto was a what, what a great example that was. He didn't have his best stuff, and yet he gave up a leadoff uh, double, I believe, and then one more ground ball single after that and basically held one of the best hitting lineups in the American League in check without his best stuff. How much can he be a help next year? And I'm talking, is he going to be more of a help, do you think, on the mound or from a leadership role, assuming he's healthy next year? I would say he's going to be more of a help from on the mound just simply because he'll be out there 30 times or so uh, and have control of that ball game. But that's not to sell short the impact that he has in the clubhouse and on the bench. Uh, and with the guys, especially with some of the younger guys that we have that are still trying to find their way, he's a, uh, he's, he's a great teammate and he really truly takes other people's uh, you know success and failure to heart, maybe more so than himself even. And that's also pretty impressive. Do you think that he also takes pressure off other guys in the rotation, maybe to think that, hey, you know, he was the number one before he left, and even though he doesn't have that number one changeup right now, that he takes pressure off other guys to feel they have to be the guy or, the, you know, they've got him in front of them? Well, I think that he does. He takes pressure off the other group, but more so than just taking pressure off of the other guys. Um, if he performs the way that we think that he's going to perform, it's just going to rise everybody else's level as well. You know, I always say that nobody wants to be the weak link, and when things are going good, uh, you know, everybody seems to just go ahead and, you know, fall in line with that. The same way when things were going bad earlier this year, uh, you know, it seemed like that that was contagious as well. So, yes, he does take pressure off of the other guys, but I think that he's just going to simply, he's going to be that rising tide that's going to lift all boats. And as strong as his changeup is, how important is his sheer competitiveness? Competitiveness to the group and his accountability? Well, I think that's probably his biggest attribute. You know, he does have uh, above average major league pitches. Uh, you could argue the fastball, you know, maybe that isn't, but the curveball I would consider above average and the changeup I would consider above average too. But just simply his, his will to win, his uh, competitiveness, that's probably his greatest attribute. That's Rays pitching coach Jim Hickey. More of this week in Rays baseball after this on the Rays Baseball Network. Welcome back to This Week in Race Baseball. I'm Neil Solons. As we look toward 2017, Danny Farquhar has been one of the team's better relievers over the final two months, and I asked him what's been different lately compared to the beginning of the season. I wish I knew the success, uh, the reason for the success I've had. Um, you know, then I can pinpoint it when things start going away. Um, but um, as far as uh, for myself, I think it's been a, a big improvement on how I started the season off and um, – you know, I put myself in a good position um, to maybe come back and contribute next year for the whole season. Um, you know, instead of uh, maybe, I don't know, being traded or non-tendered or whatever, you know, I'm out of options for next year, so we'll see what the Rays do. 
you're, you've gotten more swings and misses here in this last couple months than you did earlier. Are there, is, are there any things that you think you've done better? I mean, on paper, it says your changeup's been much better. Yeah, um, I think my changeup's been pretty good. Um, but as far as mechanically or, you know, anything, anything else, nothing's changed. Uh, I know my velo's gone back up to where it was. Um, but my velo's never been that low in my entire career as it was earlier in the year, and I think it might have been a small case of dead arm from throwing 89 innings last year. Um, and maybe, you know, I think I had like 70 appearances, so maybe that had something to do with a little dead arm. But as far as that goes, uh, yeah, the changeup's been a really good pitch for me. Obviously, you've not pitched close to that inning total or appearance total combined between Durham and Tampa Bay. Do, do you think that helps you a little bit going into next year in terms of maintenance, offseason, preparation? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, uh, you know, not being as overused as I was last year will definitely, you know, help. As uh, Jepson likes to put it, you know, the gas tank is closer to full than on completely empty. And uh, I'll be, you know, hopefully off to a better start next year. The fact that you've pitched in more higher leverage roles against teams in the playoff race, what has that done for you from a confidence standpoint beyond the results? Yeah, every time you go out there and pitch in those high leverage situations and you're successful, the confidence 100% goes higher and higher each time. Um, you know, the confidence that that the Rays have in me to continue to throw me out in there in those situations builds my confidence. And, um, you know, and then when those big names come up to come up to bat with, you know, the bases loaded and the tying runs on third base, it's, it's no big deal because, you know, that's what you've been doing. And you get out of those situations and they have the trust. And, you know, it, it's, no, it's a big-time snowball effect with the confidence. Is this the best your changeup has been at the big league level? Absolutely. I don't think I really had a changeup before. Um, I sporadically threw one. I think I threw two in 2013, maybe like 10 in 2014, and you know maybe another handful in last year. But this year, it's definitely been my best pitch. Um, you know, my go-to pitch, and and um, it's been very successful for me. So while you haven't changed the grip or the mechanics what's changed in terms of having the conviction and confidence to be able to use it so much yeah exactly what you said what's changed was there any conversation or or you know with other relievers coaches etc that said hey all right time to use it no none of that happened um you know it's definitely one of those things where you throw it and then you see a swing and a miss and you're like wow this pitch is actually pretty good so you continue to throw it and you continue to get swing and misses, so the confidence keeps building. And, um, you know, you just got to ride the wave as long as possible. But, yeah, just, just ride the wave as long as you can. And were there any at-bats or moments within the good stretch where that feeling about the changeup really held true? Uh, there's not one in particular that I could pick out. Um, but it just seems like, you know, every outing I go out there, there's you know, less and less to think about with the pitch. Um, you know, some outings I'm trying to reach more arm side, or excuse me, glove side with it. And, um, you know, it's almost just just go out there and do it, and the pitch will be there. And that's Danny Farquhar, and we'll see if he's part of the answer for the race pen next year. Here in September, lefty Dana Evelyn has received another chance when Southpaw Xavier Cedena was hurt, and I asked Evelyn if that opportunity surprised him. Yeah, I mean, I was definitely uh, surprised, you know, when my agent called me and told me they were, 
interested in having me back. You know, it was what, what I was told originally was like, you know, they're considering it. There was a couple other opportunities, you know, for other guys, maybe, you know, hang on. And then a day later they made it official. And so, you know, I was thrilled because I struggled, you know, early this year and, and I was really hoping to get a chance to redeem myself. And, uh, you know, was throwing the ball really well in AAA and then didn't get called up to start September. I was kind of bummed. And uh, so, you know, I was just home enjoying my time with my family. And and this opportunity came, and I'm just trying to make the most of it. What changes, adjustments, if any, did you make at the AAA level in Durham? And how do you think and why do you think they're helping you here? Because you're getting better results here, too. Uh, I mean, the biggest thing, I think, was uh, trusting my fastball, you know, and knowing that I had to use my fastball. You know, here I was I was so slider heavy, and I just didn't have the confidence. I don't think in my fastball, and and down there I just tried to you know mix everything more, started throwing my change up more, which I haven't done since I've been back up here yet. But I've been facing pretty much lefties only. But uh, you know, just trying to use all my pitches and and really just get back into the strike zone because I struggled so badly with walks that uh, you know, and I and it's not normally an issue for me for my career. I've you know at least over the last five or six years I've had decent enough command where I can throw strikes and. And I didn't do that earlier this year, so that was the biggest goal down there probably was just, you know, command. Sometimes those changes occur from a command standpoint because of confidence. Sometimes they change because of conversations. Sometimes because of mechanical adjustments. For you, what were the changes? Um, I would say probably more than anything was confidence. You know, I get uh, I get, get in my own head a little bit at this level, or I've been known to, and, uh, you know, I start thinking about, you know, who's in the batter's box, which, I, you know, it's, it's a mistake that a, a 22-, 23-year-old kid's you know they're gonna make but at my age you know it shouldn't happen and so it was nice to get back down triple a and just throw well i mean it just felt like i needed to have a couple good outings and it was gonna put me back on track and you know what happened and it was a lot longer down there than obviously i would have hoped for but at the same time it, it helped a ton just to be down there and throw the ball well and so uh, hopefully you know keep going like it is now and to get the type of leverage moments you're getting against the type of hitters what does that mean uh, I guess it's more lucky than anything, you know. I mean, obviously, I'm kind of filling into Cedeno's role right now because he's, you know, a little banged up. So, uh, you know, thrilled to get those opportunities, and it's uh, something I've kind of always wanted to do, and, and I've never really had been successful at those kind of situations. And so have a couple good ones here lately has been nice and, uh, you know, starting to feel a little more comfortable in those situations. You know, it's definitely nervous when I had to come in and face a big lefty at certain times in my career, and right now I feel pretty good up there. As a lefty, I mean, kind of the the mode is kind of have arm, will travel, so to speak, for a lot. For you, how important would it be to return here in some way, shape, or form to this organization next year? I mean, for me, it'd be huge because I haven't had an opportunity. I've been a new guy in spring training every single year for the last, you know, six, seven years, whatever it's been. Um, you know, I haven't repeated with a team since 2008, 2009 with Oakland, so... Uh, it'd be nice just to you know show up day one of spring training and have so many familiar faces again and just be comfortable right away as opposed to having to you know reintroduce myself and be the new guy. It's just you know it's a good feeling just being comfortable in a clubhouse and being able to walk in the door and just you know give hugs to the guys you know and and uh, you know look forward to having that opportunity. I hope next year. And that's Dana Evelyn, and we'll see if he gets that chance. Now we expect Brad Miller to start 2017 for the Rays at first. Minor League Player of the Year Casey Gillespie plays that same spot, as does AA MVP Jake Bowers. Bowers also plays the outfield, and he certainly was honored last week to be recognized as AA MVP. I mean, it means a lot. You know, obviously there was a lot of great players on that team, and uh, probably could have gone to anyone else who had a good year. So I'm just really grateful to be here, really grateful to receive the award. How about that whole team overall? You had a lot of, you mentioned a lot of talented players. What was it like, and how much do you, did you push one another and you think help one another grow? 
Yeah, um, I mean, you know, I'm not trying to knock, you know, any of my previous years in pro ball, but uh, I think this year I definitely had the most fun. Um, you know, it was a great group of guys. It was the closest I've ever been with uh, as a team. And, um, you know, just kind of the camaraderie we had really helped on the field as well as, you know, during practice and things like that. Guys wouldn't really let guys, you know, slack off and, and take days off. So, I mean, it was definitely a good thing we had. Willie Adamas was a guy this year who didn't even win an award, and I think it says something maybe about the depth in the overall system that he didn't. But what kind of teammate was he to you, and what did you mean to one another? Uh, it was awesome, man. You know, we hit uh, we hit third and fourth for the whole year pretty much, and, I mean, uh, I couldn't ask for anyone better to hit behind. Uh, you know, it's always nice watching his at-bats, you know, because he always was competitive up there, and it always gave you kind of a sense of, you know, what they were trying to do. And, I mean, even on the field in defense, you know, we were always having a good time smiling, laughing, and uh, I think we kind of helped keep each other up. You know, if, uh, if he was going through a tough time, I was going through a tough time, it was kind of easier to, you know, make each other laugh, build each other up. What was the greatest challenge facing double-A pitching? And how different was it, if at all, from the fall league or anything you saw before? I think the main thing for me was uh, going back there and spending a full year there after I had already played a half season there last year because, uh, you know, I think teams had sort of a game plan that they wanted to execute. They thought they knew me a little bit and thought they knew what they uh, wanted to do against me. And so it was tough sometimes to try and, uh, you know, try and take advantage of what they were trying to do while they were trying to exploit weaknesses and things like that. So, I mean, it was really uh, it was more of a cat and mouse game this year, and I actually really enjoyed it. Your power numbers were up this year. Was that conscious, or do you think, you know, because you're getting a little older, you're growing in your body more, or was it something you were focusing on? I think it was just growing. You know, I think it was just growing, getting stronger, just natural uh, natural improvement. Um, you know, I still hit a lot of balls hard this year that, you know, got caught, and I uh, kind of had a little bit of an unlucky year to go along with everything else. But, um, you know, I think it was just natural, uh, natural growth and improvement. Where do you think you grew the most this year as a ball player? Mentally, for sure, mentally. Um, you know, it, it kind of became a grind for a little bit this year, and, uh, you know, I was able to battle through it and uh, come out of every time that I was in a little bit of a tough slump. Chase Whitley, who was on rehab with you guys, said you and Willie are kind of guys who are mature beyond your years. When you hear that from a guy who's played at the major league level, what does that mean to you? It means a lot, you know, because um, that's the big thing. You know, the thing that holds guys back sometimes is their makeup, and they say, you know, the, the sixth tool and, and things like that. And so... For a guy like that to uh, compliment you in that way, it, it absolutely means a lot because, uh, I mean, at a time you're going to have to get into a big league clubhouse, and if you can't fit in, then uh, you're really not going to make it. You've accomplished this and gotten to this point before your 21st birthday. Is this an early 21st birthday present since you're not far from getting that to that date? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, I am looking forward to turning 21, though. You know, Maybe the age jokes will calm down a little bit after that, but uh, you know, I'm still enjoying being the, being the young guy around the block. Where is the area where you want to grow next year? Uh, you know, just overall. I think I want to try and improve everything overall a little bit and just get that much better next year. You played both first base and the outfield this year. Was it helpful, do you think, for you, for your future, to be able to show you can do both? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, uh, that's one thing I'm going to focus on this offseason is uh, getting fast enough to the point where I can be an everyday outfielder. And, uh, you know, that's something that I really want to focus on this offseason, and that's that's not work that you can put in during the year. Um, so I'm looking forward to now going into next year, knowing where I stand and uh, looking forward to getting to work. Being at a major league ballpark like this one and getting invited and being part of the Rays Minor League Awards, is it motivating at all for you? Because I would assume next year you're going to start one step from the big leagues. I mean, absolutely. Uh, you know, anytime you can get around a setting like this, you realize, you know, what you're missing out on. And uh, you realize how much more you got to work just to get to that point. And, uh, 
So it's definitely something that you can keep it in the back of your head and, you know, say, all right, well, you know, I had this little taste of it and now I want it every day. I know you and several others from that double-A team have been described as winners because that team did win a championship in high A and you were part of that club for part of last season and then went to the playoffs this year in double-A. Was the competition level that much better? I know you guys got to the postseason again and probably felt just a little short of your goal. Yeah, I mean, we got really hot towards the end of the year. I think we won like 12 out of 15 to make the playoffs or something like that. And so I think we kind of peaked right at the wrong time. So then after that, it kind of fell off a little bit, and then we got in the playoffs and uh, just kind of slowed down a little bit. But the games we played in the playoffs were still competitive, I think, except for the last one. You know, we were in all of them, and uh, they probably could have gone either way. And that's Jake Bauer, certain to be a factor in the race future after being named the Montgomery MVP as a 20-year-old. Thanks to Jake and all of our guests on today's program and this season, and special thanks today to our producers, Len Martez and Steve Carney, and again, thanks to all our guests this season. We will continue to have an off-season podcast at racebaseball.com slash radio and on iTunes. Stay tuned. The pregame show is next. This is the Race Baseball Network.